Welcome to the podcast. It's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Zimmerman. Hi, everybody. And our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And hopefully we sound different this week. Like in a good way. Yes. Sound even better. We, we, got, we got fancy. We did. We stepped up the microphone game. We're all peering at each other like Wilson and Home Improvement <laughs> over some little mini booths right now. I can yeah. only see half of their faces. It's kind of... <laughs> and Nate's got a hat on. It's like so a little getting used obscured. to. But uh, hopefully what this does is this makes the sound quality even better. We moved into our new office, like some of you probably know, and into a new room, and we felt like we couldn't get the audio quality exactly like we wanted. So hopefully this sounds very good for everybody. And if it doesn't, um, we're recording four podcasts in two days, so... After those four podcasts, we'll fix it. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, exactly. we're, excuse us. Exactly. Uh, so before we get into answering more of your cycling and triathlon related questions, which you can send them in to us at trainerroad.com slash podcast. Uh, first, let's get into a couple things. Um, first of all, let's, Chad, let's start off with you. You've been... So you did some long, so you're, you're prepping for something that we'll talk about in the next episode. Yeah. The big reveal comes next, next episode. Yes. Uh, but you've been doing some, some, I guess not necessarily longer rides. What have you been doing? Um, yeah. I, I wanted to get outdoors and do some long rides and I had a lot of reasons for wanting to do them. You know, one, I have a new bike Two, I've got something coming up that is going to have me on the bike for long periods of time. I want to make sure that I'm both comfortable being on the bike for long periods and being on this specific bike. So, so outdoor rides needed to figure into my, uh, my, my training recipe at the time. Um, I wanted to get some sun, you know, that's kind of a minor issue, but when we train inside all the time, you can, yeah, there, there's some deleterious effects. Chad, uh, Chad is pasty like I am. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm, I'm a fair skinned guy. So. What do you mean by that? <laughs> I'm going to challenge you. Like <laughs> what? you said, uh, there are some deleterious, I think that's the word you used. Just the lack effects. of vitamin, vitamin D production. Yeah. But so Which that's could, a good. can be stimulated okay. in other ways. Yeah. We should take a little sidetrack right now. Let's um, do it. Onto oh, vitamin D. Let's me off my topic. Let's okay. go into the vitamin D alley. Finish Chad. Then we'll talk about vitamin D. <laughs> okay. So we'll, we'll go back to that. Either way, it, it's, it feels good to get out in the sun. Like, mm -hmm. You can't argue that. Yeah. That is true. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so, and I determined a couple things. My psoas are super tight and that's manifested over a couple of races I've done recently. So, so no news to, the psoas? to me, um, the hip flexors basically. So they, they connect your, your lumbar spine to your, to the top of your femur. So it's basically what, what flexes your, your hips, you know, raises your knee towards your, towards your body. So very much a, a pedaling uh, muscle. And this something to, to just visualize this muscle isn't a, just a posterior muscle. Like we're talking about, it's an anterior. No, it muscle. runs through from the lumbar spine. So actually through your, uh, mm -hmm. your, uh, pel pelvic girdle yep. and connects to your femur. Yeah. So, so it, and this is, so it's a muscle that stays shortened when we're seated, yes. like right now, like exactly. all day for a lot of people when you're driving. And of course, when you're on a bike. Mm -hmm. So, and that one too goes through your, uh, it's actually kind of, you can feel it in your stomach. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah, a lot of people, deep. when they get side aches, it's actually that muscle tightening up, at least for me, when I feel it, mm. I'd, I would go to a massage therapist mm. and uh, he would actually loosen it. It would be really tight. And that would really mm -hmm. help me with, I, I would get side aches at high intensity running and him pushing in there would help that a lot. Mm. Yeah. And, and one thing I, I know from talking to a lot of different massage therapists, they say that if people come in with like severe back pain and they're the type of person that doesn't do a whole lot of activity, they are able to provide a lot of relief through mm -hmm. getting that to release. And well, to it's relax. funny too, because you're on the bike and your low back starts to tighten up. So you think, oh, I got to stretch my low back. When in fact, it's mm -hmm. not the low back, it's what's pulling on the low back. So, you know, you stretch those psoas and you can do it on the bike just by standing and really extending, you know, dropping, dropping your legs straight and kind of leaning into your bars. That helps. Um, if you've got the flexibility and the you know, control, you can flip your foot onto your saddle and get, mm -hmm. do kind of what's a couch stretch or a, a quad stretch. And either way, you're, you're releasing the psoas or the iliopsoas, the, the hip flexors, and you'll feel that relief immediately in your low back. And I've gotten more sciatics even on the bike, and especially when I'm in my TT position where it's even more scrunched up your hip angle. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. So you go really intense, especially if it's like a short time trial, mm -hmm. and you'll get that side ache. And that's, again, I think a symptom of not having a... Um, it's like a too tight psoas. Sure. Mm -hmm. yep. And psoas too is spelled really weird. It starts with a P. P. Yes. Yeah. P-S-O-A-S. So it's, it's short for iliopsoas. So mm -hmm. in any case, um, I, I found it's it's even worse when I'm like, uh, when we did a criterium and, and a Merck style time trial where I have to be in my drop bars and put out big power. So sitting upright is one thing, but getting down low and then trying to get the, the watts up high makes it really miserable. Mm -hmm. Pretty much unbearable. 
So what have you been doing to counter that or so, to address that? Um, just stretching and, and, and stretches, long static stretches. So I've been, uh, I use, I have a stand up desk now, so that's kind of cool. That helps me at least, you know, get out of that flex position. So just standing is, is some assistance. And then on top of that, I'll, uh, prop my leg up on the chair. So I'll basically do a couch stretch or a, a quad stretch mm-hmm. and hang my foot on the chair and stand there for minutes at a time. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that, how that, uh. I'm sure it's going to help. Right. And then on those longer rides, you've also been yeah, playing just, around with some carbohydrate stuff. Oh, yeah, eh? yeah. So so these long rides, I didn't go into them with the intention of of doing a depleted ride or a starved ride, but I had, you know, I had food on me, but they ended up being just that. I, I, I was going to eat when I was hungry, but I knew that because I was keeping the intensity low that I was going to be primarily metabolizing fat and I may not need carbohydrate till late in the ride. Mm. Turns out into a four-hour ride, I didn't need carbohydrate even then. And that's having skipped breakfast, right? I didn't skip breakfast. I had a couple eggs and some black coffee, but I didn't have any carbohydrate. So the point is, it was entirely fat-fueled. I felt fine the whole time and my intensity was low, intentionally so because the primary objective of these rides is slow fiber fatigue. I'm going to challenge you. It wasn't entirely fat fueled. What, no, no, what, it's, never, yeah, yeah. it's never entirely. Yeah, well, I know. So but the fact have, is I'm using minimal glycogen. Well, what? so what wattage were you at? Because we've tested this. Um, <laughs> true, I did, yeah. try not to rise above 65%. So I kept it 220 and lower. Okay. So we, um, mm-hmm. looking, if longtime podcast listeners know we did this. We did a mm-hmm. gas exchange test where we rode at different wattages mm-hmm. and we could tell what percentage of carbohydrate and fat we were burning. Yep. And at 220, I think you were like 70% carbohydrate. And, that, and that's that's right. But I questioned the validity of that test because we were supposed to go into it fasted and we both had breakfast. Okay. So we're going to do that test again. Exactly. We are. Yep. That's scheduled. Um, so. And, scheduled? and I know what cool. it feels like too. I mean, to be able to ride four hours, obviously I'm not using very much carbohydrate, especially if I came into I, it depleted. I, I think even at like collection. 50%, wasn't it still like... There's Even always for Jonathan, like you're like 60% fat and 40% carb. No, no, definitely not that high. I think up at 190, I was 90%. We could take a look at it. Yeah. We should, we should save this one because we'll be able to see sure. exactly yeah. the results. Yeah. Sure. And, and the, we will fast this time. Regardless of, of the amount or the ratio we're talking of carbohydrate to fat that you were burning on this ride mm-hmm. that you just did, no, go, well, the, keeping the intensity low, the one thing that it will hopefully assure is that you are burning more fat than you would at a higher intensity. Predominantly fat. For sure. So that's, that's true, right? The lower you go, the more fat you will burn. And then you look Mm -hmm. at the caloric expenditure. I mean, this was a four hour ride done easy, but I burned 3000 calories and I ingested one bottle of electrolyte, which was 70 calories. So, so everything had to be on board. There was nothing taken on mid ride. How hungry were you after? I wasn't, I didn't eat right away. It was fine. I mean, I didn't deplete anything. I, I felt good. And, and see, this leads me to my second point. When you're, when you're going for this aerobic adaptation, you can go about it a couple of ways. You can do the high intensity route and, uh, or you can go the long, slow route. I mean, they both achieve basically the same end when it comes to aerobic adaptation, which is increased mitochondria content. And you can go about it two different routes. And I can get into the science of it and talk cal- calcium calmodulus and AMPK and all that stuff. It, it, the, the fact is they're two different means to the same end, mm-hmm. increased aerobic adaptation. And that's where the majority of riders um, don't have the time to do four-hour rides exactly. many, many days yep. in a row. Yeah. And, I, and I'm one of them. And even if I do have the time, I don't necessarily want to spend half my weekend day doing a long ride, the rest of it recovering from that ride, and basically devote my entire day to that ride. Yeah. Right. Yeah, very different ways to go about it. Can we talk about vitamin D? Yeah, sure. let's do it. Let's head down that okay, alley. Okay, cool. So uh, vitamin D is pretty well researched and there's a lot of information, especially in endurance sport. Mm. And what I have read and had experience with myself and talking to doctors that, so the two other, my first statement is scientific. The the next two are just anecdotal, Mm -hmm. but generally endurance athletes have lower vitamin D than the normal population and and normal with the, like a healthy range might be for somebody. Mm. Um, I think I've seen a test and I don't know what the units are for this, but range from like, a, a score when you get your blood drawn from like 32 to like 90 or 110, I think right in there. I've done a test myself for vitamin D and I was like a 12. And mm-hmm. this is when I was a triathlete and I did every run outside with my shirt off. I did every bike ride outside and I swam outside. Hmm. And that's, um, it's very common for even if you're getting a lot of sun exposure to not get enough vitamin D if you're a high endurance athlete. So I mm-hmm. supplemented, um, vitamin D. And I was taking, I still do, uh, way more than the RDA, like the the recommended American amount of 
vitamin D, mm-hmm. and it's a fat-soluble sol- fat um, vitamin too. So that means you can actually overdose on vitamin D. Like you right. can have too much, but that's you have to take oh, like 50,000 IUs. Right. So I think the recommended daily is like 400 or 800 IUs. Mm-hmm. Those are international mm-hmm. units. It's, it's right around there. Um, I was taking 7,000 IUs. Now wow. I take about 4,000 IUs. And whenever I've taken this test, and I've, I do it like every few years, whenever my doctor orders a blood test, I'm like, can I get vitamin D too? I'm an endurance athlete. I need it. Right. I'm right in the 60s or 70s, so right hmm. in the middle. Hmm. But that is something that uh, vitamin D affects your immune system. Um, I want to say... Well, I don't want to say anything else. Actually, Google it because I don't want to sound stupid. But right, and yeah, and there's a there's a whole lot attached to it, like that you see. But just going, what my point is with Chad is just go, thinking thinking that you're outside a lot is not enough to um, to say that I have a, a a proper level of vitamin D. Just because the vitamin D is there doesn't mean that we're absorbing it properly or processing it or storing it. I mean, it's or kind it's of like, enough. Right. It's, 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 it's enough. Plus, there's all the cancer and, and stuff that you could have for being outside a lot. So you should mm-hmm. wear sunscreen. That's obviously. Right. Well, and my guess is sunscreen would negate the effects. I don't know. Or prevent them. I do not know. We'll have to do some digging on that. Yep. That'll be interesting. I think I want to say yes, it does. And I think it also has something to do effect with your um, with your eyes and sunglasses. But again, Interesting. I'm sounding stupid because I don't know these things. I should have paused the podcast. I could have looked it up. It sounded really smart. But it's a quick Google and anyone can find it out. Cool. Um, maybe we'll answer it next podcast. Let's do it. Okay. I like that idea. Uh, Nate, you've been on the line on the line of nutrition. You've been taking a, a unique approach. I've Not unique. Well, unique to what Scientific. you were doing. Scientific. <laughs> <laughs> Highly so. <laughs> unique to what you were doing prior, I guess. Yeah. It, so going back uh, – Again, long-time listeners, I dropped a bunch of weight, mm-hmm. and all I kind of did was I limited my carbs. I went to bed hungry. I rode a lot. I got to a point, though, where I haven't been improving as much as I'd like FTP-wise on the bike and having kind of feeling really tired during workouts. So I have – and then my last test was higher body fat, partially because of my bro- broken collarbone and me being more lax in my diet. I've gone down the rabbit hole of counting my calories. And I'm seven days, this is my eighth day, which is nice. Mm-hmm. And on my eighth day, um, what I'm doing now is I'm I'm actually going to high carbohydrate intake. I'm doing 2,500 calories per day as like the, as my maintenance level. And I'm not trying to actually lose weight. I'm just trying to like maintain what I have right now. I might lose some body fat, that's fine. And I, how I picked 2,500 is we did the um, resting metabolic rate test. Mm-hmm. And I, I think mine was 2,100. Is that right? Uh, yeah, 50, I think 22. 22. 22. Yep. I don't move around very much during the day. I, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I have an office job. Mm-hmm. I walk to get coffee, black coffee, and I walk back to my desk. <laughs> and I walk to go tell someone to do something, and I walk back to my desk. <laughs> so that I put an extra 400 calories. That might be a little bit um, – or actually could be 200 or, mm. or 300 depending on what it is. Yeah. Um, not 200. So anyways, I that's what my, my normal day is. I'm doing a 50% carbohydrate – 25% fat, 25% protein, okay? So that right there is a higher carbohydrate diet than most people, at least that I was used to before. Right. I'm actually finding it hard to get that many carbohydrate a day, that much carbohydrate yeah, a day. Can you explain the scale so that hopefully people can imagine the bowl of oatmeal that you've been okay. eating? Oh, it's insane. It makes my stomach hurt just looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let, me, let me get the more the calories before I talk about the okay. amount of food I'm eating. Yeah. So then uh, on my train and road workout days, you know, I'm, I use the kilojoules, which is a, a good proxy uh, for, proxy for calories. Yeah. So I'm adding that to my caloric count. So today I'm, my workout's going to be about 1,100 calories, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to add that to my 2,500. I'm using the MyFitnessPal app, and I bought the premium version, which means I can also say when I do a workout, I'm actually going to replace those calories with 60% carbohydrate, 20% fat, 20% protein. And I am doing this higher carbohydrate on purpose. Um, I'm actually some of Matt Fitzgerald stuff. I'm using kind of what he recommends of how many. He recommends a certain amount of grams of uh, protein and carbohydrate for endurance athletes. And then I reversed it and said, this is the percentage that I would need to achieve that. Gotcha. And that's what it is. Um, I found that I've the hardest part for me, actually, is I had a I'd eat high fat foods that then. Not that it would blow up my calories, but I wouldn't be able to eat enough carbohydrate because so many of my calories would be taken up by fat. By fat, yep. Mm. 
So it's very like this morning I had a little McDonald's uh, sausage egg McMuffin, but half of my fat for the whole day is gone just in that. Mm. So I'm going to have to eat some turkeys and high carbohydrate food that's low in fat, maybe um, like a bagel or something like that, cereal, right. stuff like that. Yeah. So to to actually, and Chad's smiling and laughing at me. <laughs> Biting my tongue. <laughs> to measure all of this, I am using the MyFitnessPal app. I have a food scale home at home and at work. And so I weigh all my food. But there's certain foods that are like nutrient dense. So they're talking about the oatmeal. Mm. Uh, one cup of dry oatmeal is 300 calories. Mm. Okay. It's high in, um, it's high in carbohydrate, has some protein and very, very little fat. Mm -hmm. So for me in the morning, I tried to have a, if I'm doing a workout, I need to get about a thousand calories per meal. So I have to do a thousand calorie bowl of oatmeal <laughs> and I have 1% milk in it. And I even added brown sugar just to get extra carbohydrate. And it is giant. It's like a gallon of oatmeal. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much gigantic. a gallon of oatmeal. It's gigantic. Yeah, hey, I don't know how anybody could, how anybody could do a workout with a belly this full. I'm I'm a I'm a, a Olympic athlete in terms of eating. <laughs> we do know this. I will not argue that. <laughs> it took me about two hours to eat, but I had a great workout. I've been having great workouts in the week. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't know if it's uh, no, it's, it's I'm, related. I'm super interested to see how this whole thing bears out. So right. my goal is, I know calorie counting is hard to do and most people fall off the wagon. Mm. For me so far, it's actually been super enjoyable. I think because I'm not doing a deficit and I'll go home at night and I won't be hungry, but it's like you need 400 more calories, mostly of carbohydrates. So I'm like, sweet, I'm gonna eat a bagel. Yeah, see, that's that's where I have a hard time because mm -hmm. it, that's just an insulin surge before you go to bed. I, I mean, there's no benefit to that other than making these numbers meet up. Exactly, well- well, I'm, we're none, see. none that I can understand. That's so. I, exactly. Like I said, I'm curious to see how this bears out. So what I want to do is I want to keep up this ratio until our next, our next exa. Mm. But at the same time, every single morning I'm doing my weight. I'm recording both my um, body fat percentages on the on the Tanita scale, so my athlete and standard mode, which we know is a good correlation. Mm -hmm. And I'm using fat calipers on my stomach every single day just to track that because I, I want to catch it early. So... If I, if my, let's say my weight stays the same, but my body fat creeps up to like, uh, just even goes up a percent. Well, yeah, it goes up to 17 or 18% when it was at 16 at the DEXA, although this, it has actually gone down since we started, <laughs> but if it, it creeps up, I'm, I'm going to stop it there and I might either lower my calories or change my carbohydrate intake. I think what I'm going to try to do though, is just lower my calories. Um, and then after this, like three months of what we're doing here. Then I might go to the next step, which is change my um, carbohydrate to be only, you know, uh, slow burning carbohydrates or mm. try to change my nutritional timing where I do no carbohydrate after 5 p.m. or something like that. Mm. But that'll be really hard because I will have to eat so many carbs in the morning oh, yeah. to make it happen. That's, so that's I, nice. what I want to do is see if this works for me with just eating fun foods mm -hmm. like cereals and stuff like that. <laughs> see what happens before I go hardcore Right. Yeah, like, so, so we're not advocating this, by the way. No, this isn't. No. This is an n equals one experiment. We're we're kicking back and watching and see what happens because yeah. I, I I can't get behind this in, in a lot of ways because even if his performance does increase, even if his body composition doesn't change, this doesn't necessarily, in fact, does not cultivate a metabolically healthy yeah, body. So that's that's a good point because Chad and I argue about this a lot, and there's mm -hmm. there's research that shows correlation between. High carbohydrate, high sugar diets, and like things like cancer, heart Insulin disease, and stuff like that. And, yeah, and yep. all the things that go with it. And I would argue, and what my argument with that is, those studies are always general population, not people who are doing ninety-minute right. intense endurance. Mm -hmm. They're not endurance athletes doing good, lots yeah. of endurance work. But all there, the time. there are some studies on endurance athletes. I mean, maybe not, eh, maybe not solely endurance athletes, but they are noticing that endurance athletes are amongst the unhealthy. They're, they're just as likely to be unhealthy due to these high, high carbohydrate diets. Send me those. Okay. I haven't seen those, but I, I do know there's lots of research that a high carbohydrate diet improves athletic performance. Mm. Yeah. We'll yeah. argue that. It's, it's, yep. Yeah. So send me those studies, Chad. But, but I want to see it. But again, I don't performance myself... goes up doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean you're becoming a, a healthier athlete. Yeah. That, that's it. So yeah, yeah. Your point is that performance on the bike isn't the whole picture. Yeah. Just of because it's a short term thing. I mean, performance over the long term, I would have to say would be correlated with good health. It'd have to be, right? Yeah. You'd think, you'd think so. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that's, that's the rub, right? So if I'm, I have a good cardiovascular fitness mm -hmm. and low body fat, um, is, am I doing something though that's going to give me cancer in the future? Yeah. 10 years yeah. down the line. But we know out of those things though, the, the, the biggest, 
um, risk factor is being higher body fat, mm -hmm. right? And right. sedentary. And, and, and we vis should see viscerally that. fat. And yep. we should see that. We'll be able to measure that with a DEXA on the mm -hmm. next one. So Yeah, so what I, I don't know. There's... It is, it's tough because there's other things, there's other studies that I have seen too that show that no, a low fat, high carbohydrate diet, which is better for long-term longevity. Right. Um, it's, it's so tough with nutrition because there's so many, oh, uh, yeah. there's, there's conflicting evidence mm -hmm. and there's not a good, like, it, there's genetics and mm. Lifestyle and other yeah, things. It's, it's hard to hardest topic to tackle. Period. I know. That's why I'm yeah. kind of doing it for myself. And I, what I'm thinking is, low body fat, low weight, high athletic performance. I should be a. Uh, I'm relative to the rest of the population. I'm you know miles ahead. Yeah, and if there's any physicians or exercise physiologists out there listening to this and they feel we should test for anything else over over the course yeah. of Nate's experiment, please let us know. I was yeah. going to say, yeah, test for anything else because every physician and nutritionist has a different, like, they'll uh -huh. all say different things. There's not like, oh, you're a nutritionist or you're a doctor and they recommend the same thing. Right. It's all different. Always it's different. It's so frustrating. Sadly true. It's a variable topic for sure. Uh, all right. Let's, anything else to cover there? Are we good? Um, no, hopefully I don't get too fat. I feel <laughs> fatter, but I'm not. It's weird. I'm uh, like eating all these carbs strange. and I feel like puffy, but then I'm doing the, de the Cause you're loaded with glycogen, tons of water. I mean, you're my, actually they, they talk about you're, it in you're carb loaded is when you eat a lot of, um, carbohydrate, like you get more full, they'll yeah. do it before a, um, a show mm -hmm. and I can like push on my legs and they feel harder than when I was eating a lower carbohydrate diet, Pretty but my cool. weight has gone down just in a week. It's gone down two and a half pounds. So it's weird. Like you think I would have more water weight, right? Mm -hmm. And I've, I don't know. And you're watching your total body water too on the scale. I don't know how accurate. No, that I'm is. not watching the total water. I'm just looking at the. Yeah, I always wonder how accurate that is too. I think the, that one's really tough to measure. <laughs> like, like it lets like have a, an alternative method that's like. More. I think that's a calculation between your body fat and your um and your weight. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you just look at your body fat and your weight, you're you're good. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's how that works. Uh, let's get in right now to, uh, th this is actually less a question, more help from a podcast listener. And this one comes from Ian. Uh, he says, first off, I'd like to thank you guys for such an awesome product and helpful podcast. I've been a trainer road user for the past two seasons and have seen significant fitness gains, hitting my PR FTP of 344 a couple of weeks ago. Nice Damn. job, man. That's well, pretty big. Uh, that's awesome. That's If I had a 344 FTP, I'm sure a lot of people are saying that, but I could be pretty strong. At my weight. You could be. I'd be very strong someday. He says, I'd like to present an anecdotal story that may help some of your listeners and address two points that you cover regularly. I've been training for the road season since mid-November 2016 with an average TSS in the mid to upper 200s. And I'm sure he's talking about per week uh, that he's doing there. Uh, mid-volume sweet spot base, short power build, and criterium plans. So if anybody doesn't know, those are all training plans that we have on Trainer Road. He says, I've been feeling great and avoiding burnout, which I was suffering from last season. I took my first outdoor ride of the season in very early in, or in very early April. It was 48 miles of steady pressure on the pedals. I, I, that's an interesting point really quick right there. I like how he thought of it as steady pressure on the pedals. Mm. That's a really important thing to keep in mind with these like rides that you may be doing outside or anything else like that. That steady pressure, that muscular endurance, sure. you know, is yeah, really 48 neat. miles can be, if yeah. that's what you're training for. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And he says, I minded my nutrition and arrived home feeling good. The following week, my goal was to get out for 50 to 60 miles, same pace, but the group ride I was unfamiliar with, or the group uh, I was unfamiliar with went further than I had anticipated. And my 60 mile day turned into 87. I was hydrating with scratch labs, which is what I, I don't know if that's what you guys use, uh, but that's I'm Osmo. Okay. And snacked on vegan pancake, peanut butter sandwiches the whole time. And after 87 miles felt surprisingly fresh, considering this is my second outdoor ride of the year that, and that the longest ride I had taken on the trainer was never more than 90 minutes. I made two important observations after this ride. Number one, nutrition is key. I would not have been feeling as fresh as I did if I had not forced myself to eat and drink on the bike. I have slacked on nutrition before making 40 to 50 mile rides torture because I was low on fuel. Depending on the intensity. 
Yep, that's a good point too. Yeah. He says, and then number two, you guys are always stressing that riders do not have to ride the full distance of their event prior to the event. In other words, someone wanting to do Dirty Kanza doesn't have to go out and ride 200 miles prior to that event. Probably shouldn't. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a tough thing to come back from. Yeah. Uh, he says, case in point, my 87 mile ride that was five plus hours in the saddle. This is a testament to the quality of the workouts Chad and his team have developed. Nice job, Chad. Yay. Pats on the back. And the way the phases build on each other to increase fitness. Keep up the good work. Appreciate what the whole train road team is doing. Sincerely, Ian Kramer, aka the plant-based cyclist. So, uh, thanks, man. That's that's I've noticed that this year too because I've had I've done some pretty long rides. Like that Sea Otter week was like a 300 mile week. Haven't done that in a long time, uh, and just because of the knee issues and everything else. I was fine. I've been, you know, prior to that, I was doing, th you know, three to five workouts per week and they were 60 to 90 minutes or 60 to 120 minutes. And it really, I was fine. You know? I did, um, you know, six hours and 12 minutes at Israman on the bike. Right. I did, I think two hours total, like at a time on, on the trainer, my neck hurt on the right. ride. My neck has never not hurt on my TT bike, no matter how far I go. <laughs> right. But um, I, I did that. And we actually were talking about this exact topic because we want to kind of, we get this question a lot and we wanted to clarify yeah. it. Mm -hmm. One thing that I think a lot of people get to that are new to training is they will, uh, if you're going to do a half Ironman, you're like, I need to get 56 mile ride in mm -hmm. before I can do the half Ironman. And it's a little bit, and we're, we're saying that this is okay, but there's a mental barrier. So you think, totally. I can't, until you do 56, or it might be you do 60 and you're like, okay, I know in my brain I can do it. And it raises your confidence and you might be having that extra boost in your brain on race day might be good. So if you've never done it before, uh, we don't, we don't, we're not saying don't do it. Like, right. It, oh, absolutely Only not. if it's, no. we are saying don't do it if it's a 200 mile ride though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you can do a 200 mile ride realistically, have time to recover, doesn't interrupt your training and all these things are basically impossible, <laughs> yeah. then yeah, go ahead. Yeah. 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 It's kind of like maybe you're 22 years old, have no job, no kids, no family, mm -hmm can just sit on the couch all day. Yeah. You could probably fit it in. You have 10 months to train for it. Right. I mean, it's it's tough, right? Because with mm -hmm. there's better ways of, about it. I think that's mm -hmm. what our point is for but, those really long ones. But, but it is a big deal to know that you can do it. So in the case of the half Ironman, to go out and log a 60-mile ride, having that in the bank, you know, knowing on race day, oh, I've gone 60 miles. I can definitely do 56. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm going to adjust my pace accordingly. I, I know I have to run afterwards, but I know I can do 60 miles. That carries a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think there is a mental, um, there is a mental, I guess, an enabler there a lot of the time. And, and really what I see, let's say you go into a race and you have anxiety that you won't be able to make that. Mm. In many cases, what I see happen is that affects your pacing strategy. Uh, people will go into a situation where they're either stressed out, so they lose focus on the pace they should be holding, whether that's, you know, that usually going too fast or you might be so worried about it that you just lay off so much in the beginning that you find yourself you know, very capable toward the end of the race and you feel like you left something on the table. So, um, I, I, I definitely, that there are benefits to, to that for sure. But the one thing that I guess along these lines that I would just encourage is know that, uh, like we've mentioned this before, what your body can do for a short period of time, uh, you'll be impressed on race day. A lot of the times with what your body can do over a longer period of time as well. So if you don't have the opportunity to go out and ride, you know, the, whatever the distance is beforehand, you'll probably impress yeah, all, yourself. All it really takes is a slight decrease in the intensity of the work you're doing and, mm -hmm. and, and the duration, it gets extended almost exponentially. So yeah. it's a big, big change. So the opposite of that is like for, we're going to do the hundred mile, uh, lost and found soon. Yeah. I and wait. I think I will, like I'm a hoping, separate topic. I'm hoping I'm my scared. enthusiasm rubs off on Nate. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little scared to do it, right. but, um, so that's going to be hundred miles, but it's going to be more than like a hundred mile outside race, right? It's just going to mm -hmm. take an extra hour, maybe more yeah, maybe compared more. to what probably you would do. More. I, I wrote up a small section of toll road, which I think is probably the same sort of road quality yeah. as lost and found. And it close. is tough. It's very tough. It right. just sucks so much speed out of what you would normally be doing. But so to prepare for that, what I'm going to do is, um, on the nice days out, if I, if my bone heals and my new bike comes in, I'm going to do some 60 mile rides with some friends, which mm -hmm. is nice, mm -hmm. lower intensity like Chad does. And that's just because I, 
I enjoy it and it'll be nice to get outside and, and do that kind of stuff. But then for my other ones, I am doing more intensity stuff, closer to threshold, maybe sweet spot stuff, but long intervals. Mm. And I find I can get out of 90 or two hour workout, I can get enough fitness. So like how Chad said, then you lower your intensity on race day and be able to ride dirty, uh, not dirty Kansas, um, lost and found. Mm-hmm. Let's say at 230 watts, which I think is what I'm going to shoot for for normalized power is 230 Sounds watts. Realistic. That's about where I'm at. And then, uh, but then in my sweet spot intervals, it might be at 280, right, for yeah. 30 minutes. And I'm going to be doing those. Mm-hmm. And then 230 is going to feel amazingly easy. Right. Yeah. Your, your body doesn't adapt to being, being able to do a particular duration so much or a distance, I should say. So it's not like your body learns to ride 80 miles. Your body learns to ride at a certain effort level for a particular length of time. Right. Take that effort level down a little bit. That length of time grows, grows and a lot. Grow, yes, it grows a lot. It mm-hmm. really does. As that intensity drops, you can get a whole lot more time off of that intensity as it goes down. So, uh, yeah. Uh, the, the other thing that, that's important to note is, remember when we did our last test where we, we found out where our aerobic threshold was? Mm-hmm. And uh, if we were, say Chad and I were trying to race this at 240 watts, if our aerobic threshold is at 230 that 240 is going to be a lot harder. It's a lot harder to make this 10-watt jump from 230 to 240 mm-hmm. than it would be from to go from 220 to 230, right? Because right? Yeah. as soon yeah. as you start creeping out of your aerobic zone, everything yeah. gets harder and a see, lot faster. And this is something that kind of ties back to Nate's calorie counting too, is you know we, we could have different aerobic thresholds too based on his diet compared to my diet. Mm-hmm. So he has an aerobic threshold of say 220, mine's up at 240, but we have the same thresholds. I mean, this is entirely possible and right. unlikely. Totally. And I think in general, I have a lower, I have more like an anaerobic work capacity that's usually higher mm-hmm. and I've done well in short one to two minute efforts in the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I do think that my aerobic threshold is lower compared to my FTP, mm-hmm. like relative to someone like Chad. Stands, right. stands to reason too, based on his diet. Yeah, and I do know that something that, uh, you know, a lot of guys that are spending, you know, doing really long races, even Grand Tour riders, uh, when they're talking about day after day of five-hour days, you know, mm-hmm. they really do focus on on a lot of that lower work right around that range to try to kind of creep that aerobic threshold All about up. aerobic capacity. So, yeah. And, and they and you know can have, target, you go can, ahead. And they have a lot of time to be able mm-hmm. to do that, though. That's and to thing. recover. Yep. And you yep. can go about it in different ways of raising that. So Yep. So, and yeah. it's not just time to recover. I mean, their recovery, it's the quality of that recovery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got people taking care of them. Yes, they do. Sit there, sit on the couch, put your feet up. <laughs> yep. Gaze on. You know, with Jacques, Jacques Anquetil, they actually carry him up steps. Really, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> That's awesome. It, that sounds like not a fun way to live, though. No, you know what it's I mean, not. it's like ride your bike and then do nothing the rest of your life. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of argument to say that the lifestyle of a professional cyclists isn't exactly healthy. You Almost know? Mo- most oh, professional right. athletes. There's some sports <laughs> that are pretty cool. Right. But, yeah, yeah. Like a basketball player. Right. Besides LeBron James, he actually puts in so much work. It's insane. Yeah. And I'm sure there are a lot of others too. Yeah, that put in a ton of work. But right. more the more skill you the more skill it is, the less like work you have to do all the time. Right. And the one last thing, just to back up what Ian said, and when we're talking about these longer distance rides, if you do come into a race with a little anxiety, uh, shift some of that anxiety or the focus that you have on that over to your fueling plan for the day, just to make sure that you don't forget that. Because that is something that even if your body can do the distance, if you've deprived yourself uh, getting into the race later on, it's you're gonna you might think that your body just wasn't prepared for it, but really it was just because you didn't fuel properly. That's another really good point because what Chad just said about he did his long ride with barely anything in them. I'm sure someone who's listening says, I should do this too. Nope. I'm going to try it on race day. Uh, <laughs> right? Definitely don't do it on race day. That, so, nothing I did on that ride simulated a race. That was that was yeah. free through my nose easy. Exactly. So on that's another um, kind of thing that you could do outside for long rides is it's a good way to, to test your nutrition. Yes. Because on the short intervals yeah. – like if I'm doing two hours, that's not a good way to test my nutrition. No. Test your nutrition and make sure you're riding at race intensity too. I mean, right. don't go do what I did and see if you can stomach, you know, 10 gels in, in four hours. <laughs> so let's break down, <laughs> oh, let's break gosh. down the benefits of doing a kind of, maybe not all the way to, to race distance if it's like 200 miles, but mm-hmm. doing those longer rides that would, that would do it. One is you want to do it at race intensity to simulate stuff. Mm-hmm. Two is the adaptions of just being on the bike for that long mm-hmm. and outside because outside you're wearing a helmet. It's going to make your neck hurt a little more. Yes. Yeah, you'll find uh, all sorts of little things, little aches and pains. I mean, for me, my, my, my low back tightened up. Um, so a lot of the times it's the back of the neck. Sometimes you'll find that your hands get heavy. Maybe yes. your bike fit is such that you're a little too heavy on the front of the bike. Your glasses. Things that don't manifest over an hour, but take a couple hours before yeah. you notice. 
your glasses press on the bridge of your nose or press on the bridge of your nose or on your ears and it gives you a headache and or maybe you, the rim of your glasses maybe it's it's, right. it's too bold and you can't you have to cock your head up just a little farther than you thought you'd have to and then that exacerbates that neck pain we're talking about that happens all the time for tt athletes they actually mm -hmm. a lot of people get rimless glasses or they I wear a visor only way i can do it yeah. yeah yeah um three we talked a little bit about equipment check yes mm -hmm. and i think if you're going to do this use your race wheels you'll see you, who cares if you look dumb? But I, I do it. If I'm going to yeah. do these long ones on my TT bike, Old I put a simulation. Yeah. disc on, arrow wheel, because if there's winds, you get to show feel that. If there's a problem with it, yep. you'll get it on. Yep. Like if you like how Jonathan had where he had <laughs> his race wheels were defective and they yep. were causing flats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You get that. Yeah, my new disc brakes went out of whack and, and I was dragging a brake for the last 30 miles or so. So if I had another 100 miles to do and I had to deal with that the whole time, mm. yeah. that would be bad. Been frustrating. Yeah, there's also something, so companies like Envy, for example, when you go onto their website, I remember reading this, they said, we don't believe in a race day and a race wheel set and just like training wheel set. Mm. We believe in your everyday wheel set and you should use that. And that's where I think, and Envy saying that because they're, you know, they're, they think their wheels can hold up to day-to-day -to -day stuff, but... I think that is so important to ride what you race and to, to emulate that equipment side of things. Yeah. The flow guys say too, like use them all the time. Yep, I would think absolutely. Zip would say the same thing. I'm sure they would. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, if, and also remember that a lot of your equipment fatigues over time. So if you are riding it beforehand and let's just say your cables are stretching and you may not have noticed in the last race, but they've stretched a bit and you'll be able to dial that in just slightly. So there's just, or maybe your bar tape's wearing thin and now you realize it. There, there are little things that change like that. Wear the same kit that you're going to wear on race day. So yes, triathletes might not do this as they might be wearing like a cycling kit and they don't want to wear their sleeveless jersey. Mm -hmm. But on race day, you might realize your sleeveless jersey, one, it does has less padding. So mm -hmm. you're going to be, it's this, the TT saddle will feel different or you might get chafing. Oh yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, there's, um, if, if you're going to wear like a skin suit, wear it when you're training because totally. everything's like, just simulate race day as much as you can. And then I think we said too, did I already say this practice nutrition? I didn't say this in my list, but yeah, yeah. We, we've mentioned it so far. Again, practice exactly what it's going to be. If you're doing an Ironman and I don't know, is Gatorade still sponsoring? I don't think so. I don't know if they are, but I was just going to mention that when I, I remember one of the first long rides I did with Liz Lyles, we stopped and at a gas station and she got a Gatorade and I just like stopped her and was like, what are you doing? We need to have an intervention. And she's like, well, I have to drink this on race day. Yeah. So it's, she didn't have a choice. That's what she had to, it wasn't because she was sponsored. It wasn't because she liked Gatorade, anything else like that. Every time that she rides, she's just looking at it as an opportunity to test what she will she do. To make sure her day. stomach's going to tolerate that yep. at that intensity. And the reason a why is because it. on the race course before um, Ironman was sponsored by Gatorade, so mm -hmm. you would only get Gatorade. Yep. That happens all the time in marathons is they will, you know, goo will sponsor someone. So everyone goes to buy goo, goo gels, goo shot blocks, and uh, goo drink. It's a, it's a clever strategy. Well, yeah, you, <laughs> you have know, to like, buy it. Yeah, and then yeah. Well, you a clever might strategy like it. by goo or any other Proper nutrition company too. Is, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, it's all of those things, I think, is a benefit of going outside. That being said, um, I think I can do that once and kind of check off all that stuff. And if nothing needs to change, I can move on and mm -hmm. save a lot of time and probably get a better workout most of the time inside. Yeah. But I just, we're, we're trainer own and trainer we're, we're not advocates of all 100% inside at all. Right. Yeah, there's a balance to be struck. And the last thing that I would add to that is also the psychological benefit. And for me, uh, we have talked about this quite a lot on the podcast, but especially when I get into the fall. And I, I really like to put in long rides on my mountain bike, get lost up in the mountains. And just and that's very therapeutic for me, just psychologically, right? And emotionally, I feel like I can kind of rebalance and recenter. And that really helps too. Mountain biking is huge, just the technical aspect, Oh, right? Yeah, you can reduce so much work by working outside. But mountain biking, it's like a double-edged sword. It's also hard to get a good workout on the trails because it's you're dictated by the trails, which you're working out. So it's like a it's very uh, maybe polarized where you need to practice your skills and then yes. get your fitness up. And on the long days, that's what I that's what I'll do. I'll either front load the the day before. I'll do like an extra interval workout, something like that. Or if I can in the morning, squeeze in the intervals and then get out, and on the trainer where they're best done, and then get outside. Uh, also with trails, we have so many multi use issues. And the last thing you want to do is be in the middle of an interval and as yeah. a result, blow somebody off a trail or yeah. come around a tr corner and scare a horse or, you know, it's, and that's the last thing that all of us need in our areas. So trails, you know, are tough, 
or not a great environment to do your interval workout, but get that done and then get outside and work. And just really quick on the efficiency side of things, looking at certain mountain bikers and their efficiency, um, uh, Carl, uh, Carl Decker, he's a legend in the mountain biking world and riding with him in a few different scenarios. I have noticed when I'm going through sections, his ability to handle a bike and how he shifts his weight on his bike. He's so efficient that I can tell he's working probably 30% less hard as I am in terms of the power that he's having to put into the pedals because he's able to just maintain that momentum well. And and this is coming from me, and I'm going to pat myself on the back. I'm a good mountain biker. You're okay. Yeah, so so that's not just like talking beginner and once you, you know, are out of the the Cat 3 division, you're you're good at this. No, it you can constantly get better mm-hmm. at it. So. That's why we're having Lee McCormick come to teach us how to get better. Exactly. But so one more thing about that is uh, I actually, I think you did this too, but I went to Eagle mm-hmm. this time. I just put it on my mountain bike. So that's a 12 speed and you get a, what, a 50, 50 in the back? in the back. So the reason too, I, I, I kept my front chain ring the same size and I wanted that 50 because now on, let's say I do a Saturday hard interval workout inside. On Sunday when I go mountain biking, I can keep my, I can make it be easy. Right. I can I can go over and practice my skills, but I can keep my my watts down. Where before, with something that was not as big in the back, like I would have to do 380 watts for right. 20, 30 seconds because something was so steep. But now I might be able to do 250 watts. Yeah, yep. yeah. And and it'll force you to ride super slowly, which helps you work on your balance and yeah. Yeah. waiting so, and all that. Absolute benefits to it, uh, Dominique. And I hope that's how you pronounce this one. Uh, forgive me if I if I misspoke there. She's high trainer road. I'm totally addicted to your podcast. Really cool. I have a question for my next race. The race starts with a 25 kilometer climb. And she says climb in quotes, which isn't a real climb, but more like a false flat for the first 15 kilometers or so with a few small bumps in between. Should I, and for those that don't know false flat, cause I hear that term used a whole lot, right? Um, Chad, how would you define a false flat? It just looks like it's flat, but there's an incline. So you, you may not see it, but you feel it. Yeah. And that can, and in certain situations that can be all the way up to, you know, even like three, four percent grade. Yeah. Yeah. It can even be, be more sometimes just our eyes kind of play tricks on us. So, uh, that isn't a false flat. Isn't a flat section in a climb. I hear a lot of people use that. Like, you know, you ride up to the false flat where there's like a flat part in a climb and that's not it. We're talking about something that's a very small pitch. He says, should I try to stay with the first or second group and not watch it would not watch my power meter, probably riding in zone six or even zone seven at times, or should I try to stay at threshold or VO two max? So I avoid blowing up in the first hour. The race is about 90 kilometers long with three to four climbs and almost no flats. And it's at one, 1000 meters of elevation, I would think, or then maybe they're saying 1000 meters overall climbed. Not sure. But just the same, my FTP is around 230 to 230, 235 watts, three watts per kilogram, respectively. So pacing early on in the race with a climb that things start out on. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a strategic question, not, not as much a fitness one. I mean, it's obviously going to come down to what your fitness can support. But the question is, do you go with the early group because you think they have the most chance for success and that the, all, the important riders are going to be there? Then, yeah, you're going to have to make it work. And if you can't, then, you know, you tried. But uh, I wouldn't concern myself with power or zones or any of that. You just have to respond to, to, to the other tactics. One of the worst races I can think of is when I tried to look at my power meter mm-hmm. rather than just stay with the group. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's don't, don't yeah. look at it. It's, it's not it's an dangerous. individual time trial. You, get, you have to react to what others are doing. Mm-hmm. And if you're the, the, the move maker, so to speak, then you know, that would be the single instance where you can actually look at your power. You know, if you're off the front or something, you can look down and say, is this sustainable? Right. That's the time to use it. It really, the, the, in my, my opinion on this one, it all depends on the composition of the group. If, if, like Chad said, if the people going up the road are the type of people that can make that stick and you can hang with them, then yeah, the sacrifices you may make earlier on. And if you're privy to that information, because unless you've been racing for a mm-hmm. long time and been seeing the same faces and you know who the danger riders are, you're, it's, a, it's a guessing game. Good point. And I think she knows, because it's the first or second group. She, she knows that there's a first or a second group. I'm guessing mm-hmm. the first group is the fast group. I would assume so. In my mind, I would, I'm competitive. I would do everything I could to see in the first group. And then if I get spit out and I get last place and I can't pick up the second group, you tried. That's better. Yeah. In, in my, 
after the first, like the podium, the top guys, if you get in the middle or last place, to me, it's no different. Like, right. It's, it's, there's no glory of, of like finishing in the middle when you sit in a Peloton the whole time. Yeah. yeah. F- 15th position versus 35th. Who, who really cares? Yeah. Right. I say just try to, try to, try to win. And if you don't, at least you tried. You tried. Yeah, and, and focus on efficiency too. And w- there are so many different ways that you, when if you're with a group that's faster than you, little things you can do to try to save that energy. Um, skip poles. Uh, if you're getting toward the front in the rotation, you can do things. We talked about this with Pete Morris. You can do things to kind of pull out of the line and then fall back again instead of pulling at the front. Whether you need to, you know, uh, get a gel, take a drink, spit, whatever it may be, right? You can mm-hmm. pull out a little bit and 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 you not skip poles and take short poles. And short poles aren't. Are, aren't always a bad thing. I mean, I've been right. the guy who's who's had his turn at the front and, and shortened my pole mm-hmm. and everyone just kind of followed suit. They started shortening their poles too. And as a result, we actually went faster because we could work a little harder for shorter periods of time. So I wasn't trying to duck my responsibility exactly, but I, I recognized that if I took long poles like that, I wasn't going to be with this group for very long. Mm-hmm. The other thing is to uh, always pull on the uphill if you can rather than on a downhill mm-hmm. or a flat. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And then the, the last thing I would say, you may know this, uh, for, for it, this is going to be different for each person, but I've noticed that I tend to stay fresher or have more in the tank. If I keep my cadence higher in the beginning of a race, if I end up, you know, running a lower cadence, especially this can be tricky on a climb. Mm. Uh, if I end up running a lower cadence earlier on, this isn't N equals one thing. Then later on in the race, I, I don't have as much in the tank. So, um, I've noticed that even looked back at like the average cadence that I have and ran splits on first half and second half across races. And it's almost always correlated. And, and Dominique also consider what sort of rider you are. I mean, you mentioned these zones, you know, should I be, should I work in six or seven? Should I stay at threshold in VO2 max? I mean, that's going to depend on the sort of rider you are. And I, I bring this up because in some cases, maybe you start with that lead group and you get tailed off it. Now, are you the sort of rider who can scramble back onto it or do you need to kind of diesel power back onto it slowly? So if you know what your strengths are, absolutely exploit them. Awesome. Ryan, he says, Trainer Road team, I've, I've, I've been seeing some great results using Trainer Road and the word is spreading to all my friends quickly. I'm also looking forward to riding with you guys in the Rafa group in Marin sometime in September. Oh, cool. We have one person. (laughs) I'm telling Jonathan, I'm so afraid we're going to like do the ride in the podcast and there's just going to be nobody or just one guy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're like talking to the one guy. Well, Ryan will be there. So, um, two guys. According to this. Yeah. Uh, no, Ryan's the one guy. Yes. Ryan and Steve, we have, well, we have multiple people that plenty of people that said they want to go, but. But um, anyway, that will be fun. We're looking forward to it. And I've been doing some more rides in that area this year and and more familiar with that that place too. So I feel like I know some pretty cool roads that we can hit. Um, I think I'm actually going to alter the route a bit from the first one that we had laid out. So it's we're only getting better with time on that one. He says, my question, I'm sure this is intentional in Chad's workout design, but I really struggle with certain workouts. During the workout, I can tell it's, and he says in quotes, supposed to be hard based on the text given after each really hard interval. The workout text is super motivating, by the way. That takes a lot of work. So it's a lot of work. That's good to hear. I, I, no, I'm, I'm happy to do it. Uh, Reinstein, that's one of our workouts, was a really tough workout for me. Several times during the workout, I've considered lowering the intensity by 5 to 10%, but I always think, and he says in quotes, based on my FTP, I should be able to finish this workout sort of saying that this workout would never be designed to be more than I can handle. Is this the case? I've only bailed out of a few workouts in the past, mostly due to time constraints, but I've never actually failed where either my legs cramped or I passed out. Yeah, so I'm pretty careful to develop these such that they should fall in line with you know what is achievable. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll always be able to do the workout. I mean, we have good days, we have bad days, um, fatigue mounts, and as you work towards your recovery week, you know, certain workouts could become a little more difficult than, than, than they should be on paper. Um, but the fact is you're getting through these. So you may want to lower the intensity, but the fact that you're completing them without lowering, lowering the intensity says that you can do it. So it's really more of a psychological than a physiological issue. Yeah. So Reinstein, Reinstein yeah, that's how you say it, Reinstein. Over-unders, yeah. yeah. That one is 12 minutes of over-unders mm-hmm. and uh, three sets of those. And those are psychologically very challenging. So yeah. just be clear on that. But it's 90 minutes and the intensity factor is 0.82. So you can always use, I, I use the intensity factor mm-hmm. as a good way to judge the intensity. That's why it's called intensity factor. <laughs> between different workouts. So for 90 minutes, anything 0.85 and below, I, I think of it as it's hard but it's doable. achievable, yeah. Yep. When it gets close to 0.9, I'm like, 
okay, I have to buckle down. This is going to be really hard. Yep. Right. Yeah. And if and it I were, try to reserve those for later in the in the routine. So so when your threshold has probably risen, but you haven't reassessed it yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm exactly that's how I do it too. Is is like right now I think my threshold's a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. I'm doing one today that's 0.88 for 90 minutes, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm doing that. I think day plus four or five or something. Yeah. But that's the reason I'm doing is I think it might be up. So I want a little bit more intensity in my workout. Nice. Um, if you're doing a 60 minute workout, 0.8 is going to feel really easy. Um, 0.85 I feel is, is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Nine is Sorry, hard. 0.95 is, oh my gosh, this is going to be, right. this is going to be intense. Let's do this. Yeah. But, but they but should still doable. Yeah. yeah. But mm-hmm. if you do, let's say he did this same workout three days in a row, Third day might be impossible, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you, yep. you have to think about that recovery, and but it's not just recovery; it's stress and sleep. So um, many factors. You know, I can we talk about me? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> 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 I got my CPAP machine. I'm okay. using that, and it gives me a score of how much, like, um, how many times it is. Uh, I'm I'm not breathing per night. Right, which, which is yeah, we covered somewhat, yeah, a lot, or actually yeah. we covered pretty in depth last episode. Anyway, so I I had a great night. If you only used it two nights in a three nights in a row, my first two nights were outstanding. Last night it ran out of water, and I had a really bad sleep. And then I looked, and my score was higher, and like it was, it was like I felt horrible when I woke up, and the thing said I was horrible when I woke up. So I have a hard workout today, yet I had a poor night's sleep. So what I'm saying is, when I come into this workout. I'm already giving myself excuses. I shouldn't, but <laughs> that could be one thing that I could look back on as if I can't finish it is yeah. maybe it's the recovery. Yeah. Misattribution yeah, is the tricky part. A lot of the time we'll come into a workout, we won't be able to finish it. And it's tough for us to understand why a lot of the time mm-hmm. it, we just have so many variables in our lives. So that the, the nice thing is at least you have something validated. I have something validated, but I shouldn't have looked at it. Yeah, because I don't want to. I don't. What I don't want to do is go into it thinking this is going to be. I'm not going to be able to do this because of this. Right. Right. No, just that just entertain in. the possibility that you can surprise yourself. That you're going to get on the bike and you're be like, "Wow, I really thought I was going to feel ter- terrible, but I'm feeling great." I can mm. do Which that. and and to to back this up, I did the very thing last night. Night before last, slept horribly. Had a pretty rigorous workout lined up last night. Started it. Thought I slept poorly, but I'm going to give this a shot. Might surprise myself. Didn't unfortunately, and I had to pull the plug. But the fact is, uh, there are things that make doable workouts pretty much undoable. Yeah. And sleep quality is absolutely one of them. I was just going to mention on this too, something that this year I've managed to really positively change for my workouts. I've always dreaded steady state work, uh, like long stuff. So we're talking, you know, intervals that are, well, and I say long stuff and I'm sure, you know, a full distance triathlete or something is laughing at me, but we're talking like 12 minute and above intervals that where I'm just sitting 12 at, minutes. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> um, but where we're sitting at threshold right around there. And, That's a long time to ride at there. threshold. I don't care. Threshold's hard. Right. And it's always been a, a, a sticking point for me. And Looking back, there are so many different situations. I like. I, I think back to when I was a kid, right? And I was on a dirt bike, and I wouldn't get out of first gear for like two years because I was terrified of what could happen if I went to second gear. And nothing changed uh, once I got into second gear. Finally, nothing changed at all. I was able to do it and move on. And and I've I've always noticed myself putting these mental barriers. And that mental barrier was, I'm not good at steady state work. It's really hard. And I have completely changed the way I thought about that this year and I've embraced it and I've sought out those workouts. And you know what? They're just as doable as any short, hard, intense workout. That's just, I I think that a lot of times we just sell ourselves short. We tell ourselves we aren't good at a specific type of workout or interval structure. Uh, You know, over-unders is a common one I hear and people dread it. And I feel like if you can, like what Nate said, this is going to be hard, but then tell yourself that you might surprise yourself, like Chad said, and go for it. I think that if you can have that messaging going through your head instead of, oh, this is, you know, I'm really not good at this. This is going to be brutal. This is going to beat me up. I don't know if I can do it. That is, I think it's just a better way to go. And I've proven for myself, at least, that it's effective. If you just change the way you think about those workouts over time, it changes. So I have a mental block on this for descending. And Chad gets on me on this Mm -hmm. because you always say you're a bad descender. But so if I go into a workout and say, I'm going to do this and it, the consequences of me not finishing the workout aren't very big, yeah. but me descending, like, yeah. oh, I can do this. The consequences it's are- It's a valid point. I don't, I don't want to convince you you can do something you can't. I'm yeah. just saying, give yourself more credit. But yeah. yes, and also my argument against it, and I know I have a mental block on this, right. is like, I will descend 
and crash all the time. Like, you know what I mean? I'm not mm -hmm. going so slow or I'm not taking the risks. Mm -hmm. I already saw, I mean, how many times a year did I crash a mountain biking? Like 20? Yeah. I don't know, more than that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And some of them were fairly hard, right? So <laughs> it's not like I'm not pushing it at all. You know what right. I mean? Sure. So anyways, it- Especially with descending, skill definitely precedes ability or uh, precedes your, your ability to execute on that day, right? Like you need to have the foundation yeah. in the place. Rule, the Just rule like of fitness, thumb though. that I've read for descending is- Never go outside your comfort zone mm -hmm. because then, uh, like, don't push into the fear zone. Like, get get into that fun where you feel good. And if you're in there a lot, it'll naturally move up. Exactly. As That's... soon as you're in the fear zone, you you change your technique and you actually become a worse descender and you do get dangerous that way. That's what I've read in books. Jonathan's shaking his head no. Well, but... I, I, I agree with all of that, but I do think that there are times, and this kind of happens just naturally when you're out on the trail you're riding a trail you're unfamiliar with and you come across a situation where you go, whoa, this is unprecedented for me and this is new. Uh, and so you will come across those times and I think that those are actually great opportunities to raise that ceiling and instead of opportunities for you to fall back, not literally, but we're talking, you know, to actually to become, because the, so basically if you're always familiar with being within your comfort zone, which it will grow with time, but if you're always familiar with that, come race day or come any important time, if you get thrown out of that comfort zone, it's even less, uh, you have less confidence in yourself to be able to, to deliver in those moments. And I've noticed this is actually, I was that guy, like I said, I didn't even get out of first gear for years on a dirt bike, right? Uh, but I changed the way I thought about that and I sought out opportunities, not all the time, but I sought out opportunities to do little things that I felt like, I'm not sure I can absolutely do that. So I'm going to give it a shot. We're not talking super dangerous things, Okay. but I had to tell myself, I had to go back and think, look what I already have done. And I do have a lot of skill and you know what? I should give myself more credit. And in almost every one of those situations, it worked out, but that's not me saying, you know, I can almost. do this jump. I can do massive jumps now. Yeah. That's right. Almost every, I have two points, almost every situation. Yes. I feel like Jonathan has a different um, calibration yeah. in his brain. Jonathan, how many bones have you broken? Yeah, like 18. Yeah. 18 bones. Okay. Yeah. And he's yeah. like, I got out of first gear. Nothing went wrong. I only broke. Are those all <laughs> motocross? Uh, no, BMX and skiing too. Okay. Uh, yeah. So either way, going yeah. outside like <laughs> right. 18, yeah. 18 bones. It's a lot. It's a lot. So it, if I break another collarbone, my wife might just steal my bikes, right? Like <laughs> just yeah. throw them away. Yeah. And, and I think that it's, uh, I, I guess that my point with this is, uh, you can stay within your comfort zone, but don't uh, think that your limits only reside within that zone. I think that your ability, or I should say your abilities, your abilities actually transcend that. And they're just waiting for you to let that happen a lot of the times. My strategy is, I we've really gone off topic, but <laughs> stay in my comfort zone while I'm while I'm riding. I don't want to be out of that comfort zone. And the, the way that I, just kind of the way you described is, I pick courses that don't have sections like that have a gnarly downhill that's going to throw me into something super dangerous. Right. Or all the time I ask like, what's the downhill like? Because I want to not be thrown in that situation mm -hmm. before I'm ready for it. That's going to put me in harm's way. Mm -hmm. Chico, I should have done more research on that. That was, <laughs> that was bad. Um, but then I'll do skill session to slowly raise that, that zone, you know. Right. And, and I am actually doing skill sessions right now with my collarbone. I am now doing just basic things, track standing. Uh, front wheel lifts, stuff like that, that will help me mountain bike later. Right. Yeah, it absolutely helps. And you reach this certain point, I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast is very, uh, I guess, proficient at something, uh, just like anything else. You reach this point, kind of a level of fluency, I guess, where where you realize that, okay, I can actually get into unfamiliar situations and I have the, the, the necessary skills or anything else to back it up. The same kind of goes with when we're bringing this back into fitness though, the same thing kind of goes with that. Uh, you know, Chad can show up to a, a race and, and he knows that he has what it takes to, to ride a race and even a profile that you may not be perfectly suited to, but you know how to ride that race more or less, you know? So it, it, with time, it all builds up. He's real good, though. He is very good. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> no, but I, I, on that on that same note, though, I do want to say I, I I will never coach a rider outside of his or her comfort zone <clears throat> because I believe that progression takes place naturally. You put someone at the top of a hill, you let them come down at the speed they come down at. Mm. Next time, whether you tell them or not, it's going to get a little faster. I mean, it's it just the, the success by by not exceeding your capabilities breeds further success. I mean, it just just works that way. The mm. the only time that I think I don't get faster on that is if the hill is so scary 
scary. I mean, if I'm terrified the whole time down the hill, mm -hmm. the next time I'm not going to go faster. I'm just still terrified. <laughs> it's when I'm not terrified, then I start to get faster and faster and yeah, faster. Proving Chad's point, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. it just can't be any hill. That's right. what I'm saying. Yeah, oh, sure. yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah. Uh, Brad, and he says, from past podcasts, I've gathered that Nate and Chad are both coffee drinkers. I actually remember Nate saying he was an Olympic level coffee drinker. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have the medals to prove it, but yes, he is. Yeah, I'm, I, I went to the, the trials, but I didn't make the team. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering how they handle hydration given they are coffee drinkers. I've always heard that coffee drinkers should increase their water intake to offset the diuretic effects of coffee. I'm a coffee yeah. drinker and would like to hear your opinions on the matter. Uh, so let's cover that one first. Yeah, first off, um, coffee, or more specifically caffeine, is not a diuretic. There's a lot of science to back that up, too. So mm. it, it was once thought that that was the case, but it has since been proven and proven again that it's not a diuretic. Yeah, you urinate more, but that's because coffee is largely water. I mean, it just it just kind of naturally naturally happens that way. But uh, uh, the the effects coffee have on you as, a, as an athlete, um, dehydration is not one of them. Yeah, and I've read, too, that another one, especially if they've done it with people who drink coffee all the time, mm -hmm. there's no diuretic mm -hmm. effect. Yep. We probably just blew a lot of money. Whether you're a user or an abuser, it just does not yeah. have a diuretic effect. There you go. His next question, he says, also I'm from West Virginia and we'll be traveling to the Tahoe area in June for vacation with my family. I'm hoping to break off for a half day to get in some cross-country mountain biking. Oh. And wondering if you guys could make any recommendations for a good two to three hour ride. Go with us. Reco yeah. yeah, yeah. Recommendations for a quality bike shop with good rentals would be appreciated also. Love the podcast. Thanks, Brad. Brad, this is probably better off the podcast because if we just talk about trails here, everyone's, everyone's going to zone out. Plays over. But yeah, let's, I mean, as long as we're in town. Send us an email. Let us know, and then you, hopefully we can get off for a ride. So email Jonathan at, at trainer.com because he knows all the trails. I'm about Chad, to get a lot of emails again. <laughs> no, this is just someone coming in June. Brad only. Um, <laughs> Please no, nobody hey, else. <laughs> no, it's CEO hat. It's Jonathan's job. I get a lot. Last time he gave out my email, I get a lot of emails now, but it's okay. Send them we'll, in. We'll do our okay. best to answer all of them, but- yes. um, Can't promise we'll get to them. Well, no, <laughs> we can promise. I, I, if you're going to bury him in emails, I can't No, no. So if here's what's, here's, I, I never want to say don't talk to Train Road because we are too busy. Yeah. And if it gets to the point where Jonathan just can't keep up with the amount of people, we might have somebody else, we'll um, depending on your question, help answer it at Trainer Road. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm sorry if Jonathan can't answer. Let's say Jonathan got a thousand emails tomorrow. Obviously, he can't get through all those, yeah. but we have the staff where we could answer those thousand no, you're, emails. You're absolutely right. I know a lot of emails come to me that I don't see because support handles them to, in order to help me if it's stay focused on what I need emails, to do. We're all good. Just don't go up to a thousand. So yeah. um, <laughs> no, but that, and that's, I guess, just one last thing on that really quick. If you have a coaching question or anything else like that, just sending it in at the podcast, trainerroad.com slash podcast is the best way to do it. Cause we really do read them all. Uh, we go through all of them. So or listening to the podcast too is a really good way to learn because a lot of these questions are more theory and apply to a lot of situations. Correct. So Chad just got a new mountain bike. Uh, I did. Did we talk about that yet? We have, I don't think we have. No. No, so it's, got built it's, it's almost today. built. It's waiting almost. for just it's a couple just of waiting parts. for a front brake. Front brake. Uh, so to describe it, it's the same bike I have. There you go. <laughs> That's it. It's a Yeti 4.5 <laughs> with NV 6040s, high volume. Um, yeah. Eagle. Eagle. XX. Uh, yeah, XX1, XX1 so Eagle. The whole deal. And then are, are you going to use that bike for cross country riding or are you going to use it for trail riding? Um, or do you have like, what's the main? I haven't quite worked that out yet. I got to see how it how it fits me in the the routes I'm doing. Yeah. So it's a, it's a 140 in the front and it's a uh, 114 one, in the rear. 114 in the rear. Mm -hmm. And Chad will be using it at single track six. For sure. Probably all across country racing and trail riding pretty much. So pretty much it'll, it's your only mountain bike. I, well, I have a hardtail good. mountain bike too. So if there's like a real non-technical XC mm -hmm. race, I'd probably use my hardtail. Okay. I didn't know that. Is that a 27.5? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yep. This one's a 29er. Yes, it is. Last one from Zach. He says, hey guys, absolutely love the podcast and it's convinced me to sign up for Trainer Robe when I get back from my holiday. Let the suffering begin. He says, my question is this. In a fit of madness, my girlfriend has encouraged me to sign up for the Haute Rote Alpe d'Huez, which is three days in mid-July. I'm very jealous. That sounds like a lot of fun. So over the three days, we'll do 258 kilometers and 8,700 meters of climbing. Almost Everest. And he says, I wonder if anyone on the podcast has ever Everested. Hmm. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> he says this is going to be a serious challenge as i've never done this much climbing before though or though i've been riding a few years and have put in some big rides 
Big climbing rise, he says. Nothing on this scale, though. I have 14 weeks before the event, and I'm not sure if I should plan on spending that time doing the 12 weeks of Sweet Spot Base 1 and 2, or because I have some fitness going in, and he mentions that it's non-structured indoor and outdoor interval training since January that has me at about 3.2 watts per kilogram. Would it be better to do one base plan and then move into your sustained power build plan, knowing how much climbing is coming up? I'm also going to put the kitchen scale to good use to work on shedding a few excess kilos along the way, but the big issue, biggest issue is choosing the right plan over the next 14 weeks. Thanks so much, and keep up the great work. Who are we talking to? I can't see the name. Oh, let me scroll back up. It's from Zach. Zach, right. <laughs> Zach, I actually like your second option better. I think if you've already got some fitness, bypassing the first sweet spot base so that you can do the second one and move on to the sustained power build is going to be of greater benefit to you considering what you're up against. Mm. That sustained power is going to be super crucial. And a lot of what sweet spot base one is dedicated to is building a, a foundation of muscular endurance, which it sounds like you might already have. And then a little extra focus on form, which you know hopefully isn't a big limiter for you. On de playing devil's advocate to that, a lot of the time when you just ride outside or, or inside and, and, you know, riding with the group, you could call it interval work, but it's hard to call it structured interval work. There's no real structure to it, right? It's just by whatever the pace dictates with the group. A lot of the time people come in and I call it like Strava fitness, you know, they'll come in like they're ready to slam KOMs, but are you ready to do it repeatedly? And you actually may not build a whole lot of muscular endurance that way. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, it's something that, uh, a lot of the time, if you feel like that work hasn't been very structured, uh, then maybe this is a good opportunity to start with the base plan and then move into it. Uh, that's something that I see a lot of people, they may ride a lot, but it doesn't, it's kind of like a foundation. They're Sure, it's a lot of concrete, but it's got some cracks in there. It isn't yeah. stable. Yeah, you could you could certainly go either way. I like I like the second way for a couple of reasons, and another one of is is that uh, you have fourteen weeks, and it totals an even fourteen weeks, so it fits really nicely. I like Jonathan's point though; is he's coming, he's going to sign up for Trainer Road, right? So I'm guessing he's never done structured interval training inside. Mm -hmm. So just again, brace yourself because <laughs> as you come into it. It's going to, especially jumping into the second time, it's not that much harder than sweet spot base one, sweet spot base two, but just know it's going to, it's going to be good. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You'll and get I like, faster. I like the scale approach too, <laughs> for the losing some weight. If you have excess kilos to shed. Yes. Nate does. That's very, well, it's very important, right? I mean, if he's going to have that much climbing. Yeah. Um, why not? Why not measure things, right? Yeah. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for submitting your questions. You can do so at trainerroad.com slash podcast, and we will talk to you all next week. Thanks everybody. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye.